Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, June 7th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. And in the mailbag, we'll talk about elevated horror films. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. So Brad is actually in my house today. He is uh, visiting Los Angeles uh brad why are you here uh i just wanted to come here and just look at all your cool stuff and play with your dogs <laughs> pretty much it so there's no other purpose of you being in los angeles i mean i guess i'm here to go to some ghostbusters fan fest thing that's happening this weekend uh it's the first one ever it's happening on the sony pictures lot uh where the ghost core offices are and apparently there's going to be some cool stuff, hopefully some cool news and, you know, a bunch of things. Honestly, I have no idea what to really expect because it's the first time they've done this. So I don't know how it's situated or, how you know, what's going to be like when they have the – there's a panel that's supposed to have Ivan Reitman and Jason Reitman and Paul Feig and Dan Aykroyd talking about 
uh, all the Ghostbusters movies. So who, who knows? There, it could be something awesome. It could be you know something average. We'll we'll yeah. find out. So we could. I work. sure hope. Uh, I sure hope there are no girls at this this festival because girls are not allowed in the world of Ghostbusters. I actually drove by the Sony Pictures a lot. Then there was like a hand painted sign from Little Rascals that said He Man <laughs> Club. So I think I think it'll be fine. <laughs> Chris Paul Feig is here, so I mean, yeah, but he's a guy. He's allowed in. He's a man. If, if, he, if he were a lady, they would stop him at the door and say, "I'm sorry, Ghostbusters is for men and boys, not ladies." I would laugh so hard if the cast of Ghostbusters Answer the Call showed up with fake mustaches on, just pretending <laughs> to be boys. <laughs> so I was on the Sony Pictures lot when they launched the the trailer for Ghostbusters, the Paul Feig movie. And they had a lot of fans on the lot that day, you know, many of them wearing their proton packs and stuff. And there was a lot of females there that day, Chris. So they were allowed that day, but they're not allowed there now. That must have been a a, a glitch. Someone probably got fired for that blunder. Let me tell you. <laughs> I will say that day, I think, was a free event. This day, how much do tickets to the Ghostbusters Fan Fest cost, Brad? The, the ticketing was pretty outrageous when it was first announced. Like, I think he, the lowest package for this the event was like five hundred dollars but because the prices were so high and i guess some people were complaining they introduced uh, a lower tier ticket package that was pretty bare bones but even that was still like 125 dollars um and it's only for mo- what is mostly a one-day event that lasts from like noon until eight on saturday but i guess because of the exclusivity of actually being on the sony lot like you know near the ghostbusters offices where they're gonna have a bunch of cool stuff is probably why it's so expensive but you know, I it, we'll, we'll see if it ends up being worth it. So they're keeping the women out by by having the price of five hundred dollars because only men would pay that to go to Ghostbusters one day event. And the <laughs> women are underpaid too, so that's why they can't afford it. You, you know, if if someone's listening to this podcast for the first time, they probably think we're massive sexists and don't get that we're joking. So just to be clear, we're joking. Okay. Let's move on to the news. Let's talk about the news. Let's start off with Ghostbusters. We have learned something about the new Ghostbusters film. Brad, what do we know? Yeah, today, out of nowhere, uh, there was news from Sigourney Weaver herself. She apparently did an interview with Parade Magazine, uh, of all places, and they were talking about what she has in store for the future, and uh, there was some discussion about the new character she's playing in the Avatar movies, although there weren't any details revealed on it. And then she... Uh, apparently confirmed that she will be reprising her role as Dana Barrett in the new Ghostbusters sequel. Um, she wouldn't give any details except to say that she's playing that same role again. And she, there, there was one quote in the story that said, it's going to be crazy working with the guys again. And uh, the fact that she said that, that in, within the story, it was mentioned that she's working with specifically Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd. And that in itself is also news because we've yet to hear of any of the legacy cast members officially coming back in a starring capacity for the sequel. We know Dan Aykroyd is producing uh, and co-writing this movie, but we had no idea uh, whether or not the original Ghostbusters would actually be appearing, or if any of them, uh, which ones would. And it's the first time we've heard that Bill Murray is involved in any capacity. Uh, he A little while back, he had said that uh, he'd be happy to join if he was asked, uh, which is the, the same reason he ended up doing the cameo in Ghostbusters Answer the Call. But uh, if, if this is true, then it seems like they're getting uh, most of the original Ghostbusters. There's no word on whether or not Ernie Hudson will come back as Winston Zeddemore. But uh, one would have... Brad, Brad, what else is he busy doing? <laughs> it's a good question. 
Um, I mean, maybe maybe they'll be doing a revival of Oz at some point. I, I don't know. I think he'll be back. I think they're they're going to all be back. The que- the real question here is in what capacity are they going to be back? Like we know the story take uh, like follows this set of kids, almost like Stranger Things style. Like, are these kids going to be? The descendants of any of these Ghostbusters? There's there's supposedly some kind of connection to one of the original characters somehow, but it's not indicated as to how they're connected, whether it's familial or whether or not they they just happen to live next to one of them. But there's there will be some kind of connection that the new characters uh, have to someone from the original franchise. As a Ghostbusters fan, are you more excited knowing they're coming back? Because I feel like. Their involvement in the last film was actually one of the things I didn't like about that movie. I mean, yeah, I, I liked it and I didn't like it in that movie because I, I appreciate they were making cameos, but it just felt weird that they weren't playing the characters from the original franchise, mostly because the new movie was such a hardcore uh, reboot separate from the other franchise. But I do like the idea of bringing them back. You know, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about the sequel. We, we don't really know much about it uh, or how it's going to continue the Ghostbusters story or anything. So... Having them all back is cool. Hopefully it's more than just, you know, uh, an obligation for them. And it's, you know, something that, uh, you know, Ghostbusters fans and, you know, even general audiences will enjoy. Well, very cool. We'll look forward to your coverage on the site and probably on the water cooler on Monday. Yesterday afternoon, it was revealed that Warner Media's streaming service could cost as much as $17 per month. Chris, what is going on here? Uh, yes, yeah, so the, the Warner Media Streaming Service, which I don't think really has a name yet. I think we're just calling it the Warner Streaming Service. Uh, By the way, why do we have to call it Warner Media? Like, everybody calls them Warner Brothers. Well, you know, they, they have other things now. There's there's more than brothers. There's the Warner Sister Dot, so they want to include her in the uh, conversation. Um, Warner Brothers, they're putting together their own streaming service because everyone has to have a streaming service now. And... Uh, they're apparently going to be one of the priciest streaming services around, maybe even the priciest. Um, uh, Netflix right now is is around, around twelve ninety nine for their standard plan. Hulu is five ninety nine with ads, eleven ninety nine without ads. Amazon Prime is twelve ninety nine, but Warner Media is is said to be between sixteen and seventeen dollars a month, which is it's a it's a pretty penny that's not cheap um the the argument i guess for it here is that it's going to include hbo and cinemax in like one big bundle plus you know a bunch of warner brothers uh, originals but I, I don't know i don't know if people are going to go for this or not that's 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 not cheap but i think i think a lot of us already are paying some somewhat up to like 15 dollars a month for hbo alone so two extra dollars to get all like you know the huge Warner Brothers film library and then probably originals like the stuff that we're seeing on the DC universe if that lasts. <laughs> like it doesn't it seems like a good deal for $2 extra. I don't know. That $2 adds up, Peter. You know, you could go down to the the candy store, get yourself some gummy worms with that $2 a month, you know. It it adds up. Ben, I know you are often skeptical of new streaming services and uh, reluctant to subscribe. It, it would is $17 too much for Warner's Media? I mean, when you break it down, like all the stuff that you're getting, it's actually not that bad. But with Disney Plus coming out of the gate, you know, that, that service is supposed to launch in November, I think. And their their price point is so much lower than this. And you get 
arguably more stuff with them. So it just seems like they're trying to change the game and make everybody else look bad. So, you know, the difference between Disney Plus and, and Warner Media's number right now, unless they change it, is uh, is very stark. So um, I don't know. I'm not sure. I guess it's all different uh, different strategies, and I'm sure they have bean counters who have you know run the numbers and and figured out that this is the right move for them but it just um you know when you put when you stack them up right next to each other it it uh the disparity is pretty extreme so basically by the by the end of the day when we're subscribing to all the streaming services we're, we're gonna end up paying more than we were paying for cable i think yeah and then uh you know some of us are still actually paying for cable too so that <laughs> sucks as well yeah. um okay let's talk about 79ers this is a comedy described as goonies for adults uh ben what do we know yeah so kay cannon who wrote uh the pitch perfect movies and made her directorial debut last year with a comedy called blockers has found her next directorial project and it is a movie called 79ers which uh was originally written by actor writer ben schwartz who many of you will probably know as the guy who played john ralphio in parks and recreation um, the premise for this movie, the, the film follows a group of estranged friends who are forced back together after 20 years to complete a treasure hunt they attempted as misfit teens but never completed. And uh, Schwartz apparently is no longer involved with the project. It looks like uh, Dylan Meyer has been hired to rewrite the script. Um, but yeah, that, that's what we know so far. The, uh, Kay Cannon uh, is a, a pretty solid director. I mean, she's she's one for one as far as I'm concerned. Um, Blockers was surprisingly enjoyable, uh, although I have my issues with the adult side of that story. I think the teen stuff is way better there. And this movie is, I think is supposed to follow a bunch of people who are, you know, in their thirties or, or maybe late thirties. So, uh, I'm not sure if it's going to have maybe the same charm, uh, as the, as her work in blockers did, but, um, the uh, president of the Lionsgate Motion Picture Group said, uh, Kay is wonderful at capturing characters in situational conflict and is the perfect perfect choice for this re-engineered coming-of-age comedy. I hope when we are finished with this film, it feels like Goonies for adults. So it seems like sort of an aspirational uh, goal for them. Well, I'm interested in that. I want, I want more adventure stories, uh, either kids or adults. So I, I'm in, and I, I really liked Blockers. I might have even liked it more than book smart which i know have gotten groans from some of you but uh brad you were a fan of blockers weren't you yeah i love blockers i think it's fantastic so are you excited for this one uh you know i mean i'm always down uh for a new comedy that's geared towards adults there's seems to be few and far between r-rated comedies uh nowadays the studios don't find them as lucrative um and i i think Kay Cannon is definitely, you know, on on the rise as a filmmaker. She, you know, she proved uh, what she can do behind the camera with blockers. And plus, she also uh, wrote uh, Pitch Perfect, which I love. And she used to be a writer and producer on Thirty Rock, so uh, she has great comedic sensibilities. Uh, and I'm I'm down to see uh, whatever she does. You know, when I was back in the day, when I was writing scripts, uh, someone I knew was, wrote a script that was basically Goonies for adults, which is about a bunch of um, adults who learned of this legend of Al Capone's hidden um, – he had a lot of, like, alcohol hidden, like, during the Prohibition it, it, days, and they basically went out to find that treasure. Uh, never got made. Anyways, uh, okay, let's move on to our last news story for today. This is about a Swiss movie theater chain that has replaced all of its seats with beds. 
Chris, what do we know? Uh, that's, that's really what we know. Uh, Cinema Pathé is what the theater is called in, in Switzerland. They have, instead of seats, they have beds. And don't worry, they're going to change the sheets after each screening. So if you're, if you're going to Switzerland and you want to go to the bed theater, you don't have to get into dirty sheets, which I guess is a plus. And they also serve you food. Uh, you can get hot dogs. Who doesn't want to eat a hot dog in bed? I do it all the time. I'm doing it right now, in fact. And... Yeah, that, that, that's that's the long and short of it. Okay, I guess the big question here is, do we really want to watch movies while laying down in a bed? Like, I, I know AMC theaters now with their prime seats, like, basically let you recline to the point that it is almost straight back. You're you're basically like you're laying in bed. But I guess this has bed sheets. That- yeah, there's pillows. It's the whole, the whole, the whole, the whole deal. You get the, the sheets, you get the pillows. See, I, I like watching movies while I'm in bed. But one part of me, like, is like, oh, that's that's kind of cool. But the other part of me remembers, you know, when I was in New York a bunch of years ago, and there was this whole bed bug scare, um, and everybody was telling me, don't go to the movie theaters because there's like bed bugs and the the seats and all this, you know, all all, all this fear. Like, I, I I think I'd be afraid to be sleeping in these beds that strangers are not sleeping, but watching a movie in a bed with sheets. I mean, Chris, would you do it? No, um, I I don't mind watching movies in bed, but that's like in the privacy of my own house. I don't want to get in bed in front of people. That's just weird. Like just getting in a bed and people are like standing around me. Like get get out of here, Chris. What are the What is the theater going to do about all the horny teens? <laughs> uh, they don't have a plan. They just say that they're they have faith that. Things won't get uh, randy and naughty in this in this theater. So, I guess you know, fingers crossed, horny teens won't come in and and get it on during screenings. I I have no faith in that whatsoever. <laughs> That's what's going to be happening there. This is basically like you know those motels that charge by the hour. This is a motel that's going to be charging by the two hour time period. I think. <laughs> Anyways, okay, let's let's go, let's go into our mailbag. Matt from New Jersey writes in. He has a question geared towards Chris. I've never been much of a horror fan. That is until the likes of Hereditary, The Witch, Us. Uh, The thing is, I don't see myself enjoying the majority of horror films as much as I have these recent ones. Every time I talk to friends about these movies, they think I'm some kind of horror fan all of a sudden. But I really wouldn't consider myself one. My question is, what is it about these films that you think makes them more enjoyable to non-horror fans? So, Chris, I'll, I'll, I'll post that question to you. I don't, I don't really know. Maybe it's because they're really good. Um, <laughs> I, I love the horror genre. I, I am a huge horror fan. I think people have a preconce- preconceived notion of what horror is, and I think the the landscape of horror films over the last few years has sort of hammered that home that horror films are only movies with jump scares or there's things like you know the conjuring movies or the, you know the insidious movies and nothing against those movies i really like those movies but horror can be so much more than just you know loud banging noises and and ghoul faces rushing at the camera and i don't think a lot of people realize that i think they just immediately assume if it doesn't have that it's not a horror film i also think that's why when movies like you know the witch and it comes at night and stuff like that comes out 
you have people who are like, well, that's not really a horror film, even though it absolutely is. But they they just immediately think, you know, oh, this doesn't have jump scares. It can't actually be horror. And I think the, the, the sooner people realize horror has unlimited potential, it can be so much to so many people they'll start enjoying it more. And that's, that's can be my only guess as to why Matt, you know, not, not to sell Matt short, maybe he does have an idea of, of what horror is as a genre, but you know, these films, they're, they're a lot more, they're a lot more slow burning. They're a lot more, I guess, subtle, although hereditary isn't really subtle, (laughs) but they're subtle compared to something like, you know, insidious. So the, they, they try and blend their horror with drama, I guess is what they're, these movies are doing. Even like the witch, which has supernatural stuff. It's like a, it's like a costume drama. So those films kind of try and be more than just, you know, jump scares. And I, I'm guessing that's what might be uh, inner drawing Matt to these films in particular. Do, do you think it's, I mean, it seems like for many years now, the horror genre the majority of the horror genre is was trying to appeal to a lower common denominator like horror was the first like uh genre i think that there was many sequels like in the in the um the uh the days of freddy krueger and jason and all that stuff like there there was so many sequels and it felt like it was just trying to appeal to fan service appeal to jump scares all the stuff that you're you're worried like you're you're mentioning here but there's always been this, this there's always been like horror films that have been more elevated is the I'm gonna the word I'm gonna use like I feel like Exorcist or uh, right. now nowadays these the films that he mentioned but I know horror film horror horror fans have taken issue with the word of elevated horror movie so yes. why why is elevated horror movie bad because even you describing it, it 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 seemed like you said something like horror films that are more like are greater like it, that that feels like elevated right um the problem was with having a thing that's you know determines it to be elevated you know breaking it off into its own subgenre like that is it's sort of like it just sells the genre short as a whole and what happens with this is I I feel like elevator horror is a problem as a term because people try to use it when they're, they're trying to distance themselves from horror as a whole. They're like, well, I don't really like horror movies. I like elevated horror movies, but they're all horror movies. I mean, look like, you know, but elevated horror has horror in the title. I feel like that's not doing that. I, I feel like people just want a word to grab onto to describe this thing like this new wave of thing i think horror fans um from experience are very sensitive in the term in the way that they they want their genre to be taken seriously and for a long time people didn't take horror seriously and uh, you know they spent you know people tend to think of horror as as something for you know teens and since like the 80s on horror has been sort of geared towards teens even like r-rated movies and, you know, people who love the genre and know it can be a lot more than, you know, scream knockoffs, not that, not that there's anything wrong with scream, but they've, they've tried so long to be like, take us seriously, understand that horror is a real genre. It's not just something that it's not just something frivolous. It can have really important themes. It can have something to say. It can have an actual message. And when you suddenly come in now and be like, well, uh, 
that's elevated horror. That's not horror. People people get a little upset yeah. about that. I mean, I, it's like an umbrella, Peter. It's like the people in the horror community want to. They're standing under the same umbrella, and they're they're trying to draw people in and say, "Look, it's it's pretty great under here. You know, there's there's a lot of really good stuff under here." But then some people are trying to form this new term and pull them outside of that umbrella, and it's just. Uh, I mean, you can see how it could be sort of an insulting thing. And I mean, there's there's so much room for so many different types of things under that umbrella too. And I think the real thing that Matt is is uh, hitting on in this. Um, email is like the difference between jump scares which chris talked about and like dread i think that that is like the through line of movies like hereditary and the witch and us um you know the, there's that that eerie feeling that's different than just the scare and all yes that is different than a lot of stuff that uh appears in the genre but um you know to completely pull it out just seems like a uh the wrong way to go about doing but it. but i feel like the same thing happens in the comedy genre like there's the whole dramedy uh genre which i think is kind of elevated comedy i mean they don't say elevated comedy but it's is dramedy like when, when you see little miss sunshine people don't just call that a comedy it's a dramedy and i feel like it's there to because we want to categorize things in different ways and i feel like you need to categorize i don't know i'm not i'm not going to argue for the word elevated because i i can see how that could be uh i don't know a bit pretentious uh and it could be used uh to you know in a negative way but i feel like there there must be some kind of word uh but let's move on from there i wanted to ask you guys what are some other good um <laughs> what are some other good elevated horror movies <laughs> like what what other word am i supposed to use guys anybody i don't I don't know. Just call them horror movies. I mean, I, I, I should say that I don't tend, I don't really get that upset when people yeah. use the term, but, but I, I don't think it's necessary is what I would say. But I feel like when you read this email, I'm sure this guy isn't going to love, you know, the jump scare horror movies and the slasher films and Scream and Fred and all that kind of stuff. I think he's looking for what people would term elevated horror films. So I'm wondering, you know, what what else would you recommend to him? Uh, as somebody who's not in the, you know, not nearly as big of a genre fan as Chris in this area, I would just say like Get Out is the one that immediately comes to mind. Um, but I'm sure everybody's already seen Get Out at this point because that movie was like a full fledged phenomenon when it came out. So, yeah, I feel like um, maybe It Follows or The Babadook. Yeah, I, I would say those fit in there. Even like Us is, is what I, you know you could you could consider to be part of the you know the quote unquote elevated horror genre. Let let the right one in might be a good one too. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I, I do think there there have been films throughout the years. Like this isn't a new thing. Like I said, there's Exorcist. There's like Silence of the Lambs. There's always been horror films that have been more dramatic and more serious in nature. I think. Right, like uh, Chris, what is like the most early horror film that you would consider in that category? What to be serious? Yeah. I mean, the, the like the Universal films of the you know the '30s were, were yeah, geared yeah. more towards adults, so those are serious, even though they're dealing with you know vampires and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, we actually we actually have a really good article about why elevated horror uh, isn't really a thing uh, that went up on uh, in June last year. It was written by Jacob Knight, so uh, you should check that out and see why uh, people don't like elevated horror. Yeah, we will add that to the show notes in case you want to check that out. 
But I think that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. If you have a question to write us in the mailbag, send it to peter at slashfilm.com. And please leave your name and general geographic location in case you mention the question on the air. You can find more of all of our work at slashfilm.com. You can find this podcast, Slash Film Daily, published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you on Monday. So, Ben, you, you don't watch any horror? You do watch I horror. mean, I do. I'm just, I'm not nearly, I mean, Chris is, like, immersed in it. He just came back from a horror film festival, for God's sake. So, I just, I don't want to, like, pretend like I'm any sort of authority on the subject. What is your favorite horror film of all time? Oh, man, that is a good question. Um, The one that immediately jumps to mind is uh, The First Night of the Living Dead. Um, I, I've just, I've only seen that movie once, but, and it, it was only you know, a year ago or something like that, that I finally caught up with it. But that is, I think a good example of the type of movie that Chris is talking about where it's like, you know, a, it's a horror movie for sure, but it, it also has, um, allegory. You know, deep, yeah. Yeah. And like deep themes that you can get into like a lot of stuff to really sink your teeth into with a movie like that. For sure.